0: Book 2, Chapter 10 of The Life of John Ruskin by W. G. Collingwood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of John Ruskin by W. G. Collingwood. Book 2, The Art Critic, 1842-1860. to Chapter 10. Modern Painters Concluded, 1838-1860. to 1860, Recording by Cheyenne Arrowsmith. Oxford and old friends did not monopolize Ruskin's attention. He was soon seen at Cambridge, on the same platform with Richard Redgrave R.A., the representative of academicism and officialism. At the opening of the School of Art for Workmen, on october the twenty ninth eighteen fifty eight his inaugural address struck a deeper note a wider chord than previous essays it was the forecast of the last volume of modern painters and it sketched the train of thought into which he had been led during his tour abroad that summer the battles between faith and criticism between the historical and the scientific attitudes which had been going on in his mind, were taking a new form. At the outset we saw naturalism overpowered respect for tradition in the first volume of Modern Painters, then the historical tendency won the day in the second volume. Since that time, the critical side had been gathering strength by his alliance with liberal movements and by his gradual detachment from associations that held him to the older order of thought. As in his lonely journey of eighteen forty five, he first took independent ground upon questions of religion and social life, so in eighteen fifty eight, once more travelling alone, he was led by his meditations, freed from the restraining presence of his parents, to conclusions which he had been all these years evading, yet finding at last inevitable. He went abroad for a third attempt to write and illustrate his history of Swiss towns. He spent part of May on the Upper Rhine between Basel and Schaffenhausen, June and half of July on the St. Gothard route, and the Berlinzona. In reflecting over the sources of Swiss character, as connected with the question of the nature of art and its origin in morality, He was struck with the fact that all the virtues of the Swiss did not make them artistic. Compared with most nations, they were as children in painting, music, and poetry. And indeed they ranked with the early phases of many great nations, the period of pristine simplicity uncorrupted by the arts. From Bellinzona, he went to Turin on his way to the Wudoa Valles, where he meant to compare the Wodensi and Protestants with the Swiss. Accidentally, he saw poor Veronese's Queen of Sheba and other Venetian pictures, and so fell to comparing a period of fully ripened art with one of artlessness, discovering that the mature art while it appeared at the same time with decaying morals did not spring from that decay but was rooted in the virtues of the earlier age he grasped but a clue to the puzzle in the generalization that art is the product of human happiness it is contrary to asceticism it is the expression of pleasure but when the turning point of national progress is once reached and art is regarded as the labourer's incitement to pleasure no longer the spontaneous blossom and fruit of it the decay sets in for art as for morality art in short is created by pleasure not for pleasure the standard of thought the attitude of mind of the waldensians he now perceived to be quite impossible for himself he could not look upon everyone outside the fold as heathens and publicans. He could not believe that the pictures of Paul Verona's were works of iniquity, nor that the motives of great deeds in earlier ages were lying superstitions. He took courage to own to himself and others that it was no longer any use trying to identify his point of view with that of Protestantism. He saw both Protestants and the Roman Catholics, in a perspective of history, converging into a primitive, far-distant, ideal unity of Christianity, in which he still believed, but he could take neither side after this. The first statement of the new point of view was, as we said, the inaugural lecture of the Cambridge School of Art the next important utterance was at manchester february the twenty second eighteen fifty nine where he spoke on the unity of art by which he meant not the fraternity of handicrafts with painting as the term is used nowadays but that in whatever branch of art the spirit of truth or sincerity is the same in this lecture there is a very important passage showing how he had at last got upon firm ground in the question of art and morality. I do not say in the least that in order to be a good painter you must be a good man, but I do say that in order to be a good natural painter there must be strong elements of good in the mind, however warped by other parts of the character so emphatic a statement deserves more attention than it has received from readers and writers who assume to judge ruskin's views after a slight acquaintance with his earlier works he was well aware himself that his mind had been gradually enlarging and his thoughts changing and he soon saw as great a difference between himself at forty and at twenty-five as he had formerly seen between the boy poet and the art critic. He became as anxious to forget his earlier books as he had been to forget his verse-writing, and when he came to collect his works, these lectures, under the title of The Two Paths, were, with the political economy of art, the earliest admitted into the library after this manchester lecture he took a driving tour in yorkshire posting in the old-fashioned way halting at bradford for the lecture on modern manufacture and design march the first and ending with a visit to the school at winnington of which more in a later chapter in eighteen fifty nine the last academy notes for the time being were published the Pre-Raphaelite course had been fully successful, and a new school of naturalist landscape was rapidly asserting itself. Old friends were failing, such as Stanfield, Lewis, and Roberts, but new men were growing up, among whom Ruskin welcomed G. D. Leslie, F. Goodall, J. C. Hook, who had come out of his Pre-Raphaelite measles into the healthy naturalism of love boy. Clarence Waite, Henry Holiday, and John Brett, who show the Val d'Austa Millet's Val of rest was the picture which attracted most notice. Something of the old rancour against the school was revived in the morning Herode, which called his works impertinences, contemptible, indelible disgrace, and so on. It was the beginning of a transition from the delicacy of the pre-Raphaelite Millet to his later style, and as such, the preacher of All great art is delicate, could not entirely defend it. But the serious strength of the imagination and a power of the execution he praised with unexpected warmth. He then started on the last tour abroad with his parents. He had been asked, rather pointedly, by the National Gallery Commission, whether he had seen the great German museums, and had been obliged to reply that he had not. Perhaps it occurred to him, or to his father, that he ought to see the pictures at Berlin and Dresden and Munich, even though he heartily disliked the Germans with their art and their language and everything that belonged to them, except Holbein and the jeweller by the end of july the travellers were in north switzerland and they spent september in savoy returning home by october the seventh old mr ruskin was now in his seventy-fifth year and his desire was to see the great work finished before he died there had been some attempt to write this last volume of modern painters in the previous winter but it had been put off until after the visit to germany had completed a study of the great venetian painters especially titian and Veronese. now at last in the autumn of eighteen fifty nine he finally set to work on the writing the assertion of turner's genius had been necessary in eighteen forty three but turner was long since dead his fame was thoroughly vindicated his bequest to the nation dealt with so far as possible. Early Christian art was recognized almost beyond its claims. The Pre-Raphaelites and naturalistic landscapists no longer needed the hand which modern painters had held out to them by the way. Of the great triad of Venice Tintoret had been expounded, Veronese and Titian were now taken up and treated with tardy but ample recognition and now after twenty years of labor ruskin had established himself as the recognized leader of criticism and exponent of painting and architecture he had created a department of literature all his own he had enriched the art of england with examples of a new and beautiful draughtsmanship and a language with passages of poetic description and eloquent declamation quite in their way unrivalled he had built up a theory of art so far uncontested and thrown new light on the middle ages and the renaissance illustrating in a way their novel their chronicles by their remains he had beaten down opposition Risen above detraction and won the prize of honor only to realize as he received it that the fight had been but a pastime tournament after all, and to hear through the applause the enemy's trumpet sounding to battle. For now, without the camp, there were realities to face. As to art, the best in this kind are but shadows. End of book two, chapter Ten Recording by Cheyenne Arrowsmith.